0: Well, this morning, I want to minister to you guys about counting the cost. How many know that there's a cost to serving Jesus? There's a cost to serving Jesus. And being a disciple requires discipline and sacrifice in your lives. You see, salvation is about meeting God at the cross, meeting Jesus at the cross and putting your trust in Him. But being a disciple is about being willing to pick up and carry your own cross and follow Him. I want you to know this morning that this is not going to be, like some of my messages, this is going to be a challenging message this morning. How many of you guys like challenging messages? Sometimes I like them. Sometimes you're just like, man, did you write this one just for me? Well, don't worry. This morning, the reason why this message was written, it was written for me. You know, that's actually what happens most of the time when a pastor is preaching, is because God's speaking to them. And we don't want to deal with it alone, so we preach it to you, and you get to share right there alongside with us. So, yeah, you know, this, this message is going to be challenging this morning, and I, I pray that it convicts you this morning, like it's convicted me. But I also want to make sure that it's not condemning. You know, the messages that we preach are not to condemn, they're to convict, and there, there is a difference between conviction and condemnation. You see, condemnation says you're a failure and that there's no way out, that you're stuck where you are. But conviction says that you can overcome. Condemnation points out your failures, but conviction points out your opportunities, And condemnation holds you back. But conviction challenges us to move forward. You see, the reason that I wrote this is we, you guys know we went to that youth conference in California just a a, a few weeks ago. And I realized that that God was challenging me as we were there. You know, it's something that I needed. Because we had done... Quite a bit of work to get into this building. Those of you guys who did it with us, you know it was, it was a struggle. We put in a lot of work. Most of us worked every single day of the week for weeks coming in here, working on bathrooms, painting the bathrooms, getting everything set up, the chairs, cleaning chairs, and putting up the, the, the display up here and the sound system. And, and we all put in a lot of work. We put in a lot of time. And I, I, looking back, I recognize what happened in my life as I kind of went a little bit on auto- autopilot for a while after that. I was a little bit tired. I was a little bit worn out. I was, I, I was you know, doing this by vocationally working full time and trying to do all this. It wore me out a little bit. But the problem was in, in how I handled it. Because instead of stepping up and, and moving forward, I, I kind of, I think I backed off a little bit. And I look at my life and I began to see that it, that it was affecting my walk with God, it was affecting my prayer time, it was affecting my worship, and, and all because. For a moment, I forgot that there was a cost to serving Jesus. I forgot that sometimes when we look at what we're going to do, as we're going to look here in a a couple verses, as we look at the scripture says that we need to count the cost before building a tower, I forgot that at one point I counted the cost, and I I considered it worthy, and I was going to do what needed to be done. And then after I pushed through all that, I kind of just, uh, life pushed back on me. And you're like, wait a minute, pastor, that happens to you? Yeah, it happens to pastors. It happens to everybody. We all have our moments. The, the problem is not having those moments. The problem is what do you do for, from then on? And in this particular time, God was telling me that, hey, you remember one time you counted the cost and it was you decided it was worth paying? And we need to step up. We need to, to do those things that are hard to do. We need to carry our own cross. Amen? So as we get started, the first scripture I want to look at this morning is Luke 14, 26 through 27, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You know, this got me thinking, what does it mean to be a disciple? And as I was looking about it, especially in light of this scripture, the truth is that being a disciple... It means to put Jesus first and foremost in your life, no matter what. It means that he's going to be first before our jobs, our work. It means that he's going to be first before our family, that Jesus is first before our spouses, and he's even to be put first before our very own self. You know, in the scripture here, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, how I many of you look at that and go, like, man, that's kind of harsh. That's a little bit rough. I don't, I don't want to have to hate somebody. But the truth is, is, this is the, the, the way it's worded in the Greek is not so much to hate, but can be read as to, to love less. It's a comparison thing. When you look at your love for Jesus, in comparison to that, the love you feel for your family, your spouse, your wife, your friends, it should fail in comparison. It should, almost in comparison, look like hate. It's a comparison thing. Matthew 10.37 says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You know, this was a tough statement for the Jews at the time. They were living in a society, even if you read that as, as, as love less and not hate, this was a big shock to the Jews because they're living in a culture where honoring your parents was considered virtually one of the highest things that you could do. It was the highest obligation, and, and being with your, one's family was usually your greatest joy. And in that time, teachers regularly demanded respect and, and affection, but in Jewish tradition, the only one that could ask for that kind of love was God himself, that kind of devotion was God himself. In Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And now Jesus is coming and saying that he's demanding that same sort of devotion in his life. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I I can take a step back and look at my life, and there's some areas of my life that I'm not doing that. And that's what I said this morning, this is going to be a challenging message. This is going to push your buttons a little bit. I want you to examine your life and see: am I serving God to the fullest potential? Am I putting him first in every area of my life? And like I said, it's not to condemn you. You shouldn't leave here feeling bad. You shouldn't leave here feeling condemned. You shouldn't feel here, leave here feeling like a failure, but instead be challenged to press forward in your own life. It says here that Who, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. How many of you want to be a disciple of Jesus? I'm not talking about someone that just shows up on Sunday morning and fills a chair. Those aren't disciples. If you're just warming a chair on Sunday morning, then you're not doing what you're called to do. We are called to be disciples, and we're called to make disciples. To bear your own cross, it means to sacrifice. Jesus carried his cross up to to Golgotha, and he, he, he laid on it. He, he, he died on it for us. That was him carrying his cross. And for us to carry our own cross doesn't mean that we need to, to, to go somewhere and hang and die, but it does mean that we have to be willing to sacrifice a few things. You know, one of the things you might have to sacrifice is that extra hour of sleep in the morning to make sure that you get up and spend time with God. But what about that extra hour of sleep you got this morning if you didn't come to the prayer meeting? Sometimes it's, we, need to, we need to sacrifice that extra hour. Or what about when you get home from work and you just want to sit on the, on the couch and watch some TV? Are you willing to sacrifice some of that time to spend it with God, to honor Him? Or what about your Saturday mornings? Me and John, yesterday, we, we met at the church and, and we went out and handed out flyers in one of the neighborhoods and we knocked on doors and we talked to some people. And that requires some sacrifice. It's totally worth it. Don't get me wrong. Sacrificing for Jesus is totally worth it. But it did mean we had to give up our our Saturday morning to go out and try to reach people in the neighborhoods. And some of you might think, well, that's a little scary to go knock on doors. I tell you what, we got it pretty easy here in the United States. You know, we, we walked around and knocked on doors. And you want to know what the worst thing that happened to us yesterday is? The worst thing that I can think of that happened to me is I knocked on the door and the guy said, oh, I'm a little busy right now, and he closed the door. It was rough. Man, you know, there's, there's people giving up a lot more than their Saturday mornings right now for Jesus Christ. There are people that are giving their lives. And I think for us, if we look at our lives, there are so many things that we, we in, maybe not intentionally put in front of Jesus, but we do do it. But our life, we need to be willing to give our life to Jesus, no matter what the cost. Because he gave everything to us. He didn't hold anything back. And putting Jesus first, it's not easy. I'm never going to tell you that it's easy. It's tough. And it's so easy to do other things. It's a sacrifice, but it's one worth making. That was your opportunity to say amen. That's one worth making. Jesus was willing to give everything for us. Why aren't we willing to do the same? In Luke fourteen twenty-eight through 30 it says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Obviously, you can see this is where I got the title of my message from. He says, for which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost. You see, in this time, they would have understood this parable very well. Several years earlier, in AD 27, there was a poorly built amphitheater that had collapsed with an estimated of 50,000 casualties. And the failings of inadequate or half-finished structures were well known. But in this point here, he's talking about the builder. I mean somebody at this point obviously didn't count what it would, would cost or be required to build this amphitheater and they they cut corners and they did it half heartedly and it ended up falling down and destroying people. Fifty thousand people lost their lives. You know, for us this is I think it can describe many Christians in this country that are, are just Christians in name only culturally Christians. They maybe show up on Sunday, just the, you know, the two big holidays a year. Maybe they come every Sunday, but the rest of their week, you couldn't tell them from anybody else. They might make a big show in the open, but behind closed doors, they're completely different people. And I'm not talking about people that are living their lives that they're trying, that they're trying to honor God and they slip up. I'm not talking about people that make mistakes. The Bible says that the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up seven times. If you're willing to get back up, you're doing the right thing. You are serving God. But if it's just a show, then we're missing the point. You see, the problem is that sometimes I don't think we count the cost. We don't, we don't think about what is required of us. And partly, it's the church's fault. Because when we go and tell people about Jesus, we begin to tell them how good everything's going to be. We tell them their life is going to be perfect and everything's going to be okay. From here on on, it's, it's lollipops and gumdrops. But that's not the truth. The truth is that, that you're making a commitment when you give your life to Jesus. That's why we call it giving your life to Jesus. You receive salvation, but at the same time, you call Him your Lord. And Jesus Himself said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? You know, when when we begin to, to invite people into the church, we need to let them know that you might face some stuff. It's not going to be perfect from here on out. You're still going to have difficulties. You're still going to have trials. The difference is is you have one with you that will never leave you nor forsake you, and he'll help you get through to the other side. I think we need to let him know that there's a cost to serving Jesus. There's a book that me and Joseph were reading, and it talked about a gentleman preaching to a high school, and he was giving the altar call at the end after he administered the gospel, and he was shocked at how many of the, the teenagers raised their hands in the high school to give their life to Jesus. So he said, no, you know what? I want you guys all to put your hands back down. I need to explain some things to you. This is not just something you do flippantly. This is not, you are dedicating your life to Jesus Christ. You are making a commitment. You're going to be making sacrifice. And he began to explain that it was more than just receiving a good thing. There was more to it. And then he gave the altar call again, and he was shocked that even more of the teenagers raised their hands. You know, I think as Christians, sometimes we think that, man, if we don't paint this rosy-colored picture, that that they're not going to say yes. But everyone in this room has gone through trials as a Christian. But we've continued to trust. We recognize that there is a cost to serving Jesus. And the more you serve him, the bigger the cost is. I want you to know that if you're looking for a religion that's going to make you feel good at every turn and it's not going to require anything of it of you, you're looking at the wrong religion. And you've picked the, the wrong church as well. Those of you guys who have been here for a while, you know that, that I'm not looking for people to fill seats. I'm looking for people to serve God. There's an entire city out there of people that need hope that have no hope, they're dying, and they're on their way to hell unless we can share the gospel and they can receive the same treasure that we have inside these earthen vessels. And it's not going to happen if we're just sitting here on Sunday morning in a chair. We have to get up and do stuff. We have to work for the Lord. And don't get me wrong, it's not your works that are going to save you. We all know that. You know I preach that. Doing this stuff is not going to get you into heaven. Trust in Jesus will do that. That's what saves you. But as a result of that, it should be our natural desire to want to serve him. He gave everything for us. Why are we not willing to give the same? But like I said, there is a cost, and we need to consider that before we're willing to make that commitment. Faith Flippinger is a retired school teacher from Florida who went to Iraq to serve as a human shield and is now facing thousands of dollars in fines from the United States government. Flippinger returned home in May as being fined at least $10,000, and she has refused to pay and could face up to 12 years in prison. And the Department of Treasury sent Flippinger a letter in March informing her that she broke the law by crossing the Iraqi border before the war, traveling to Iraq, violated U.S. sanctions, and prohibiting American citizens from engaging in virtually all direct or indirect commercial financial or trade transactions with Iraq. Flippinger was part of an international group in 30 countries that spread out in Iraq in hopes of preventing attack on the country. And the letter asked her to detail her travels to Iraq and document any financial transactions. And in a response, Flippinger contended that only money she spent was on food and emergency supplies. But if Flippinger doesn't pay her fine, it could increase, and money could be taken from her retirement checks or social security check. A lien could be placed on her assets. And Taylor Griffin, a Treasury Department spokesman, said she was in Iraq in violation of U.S. sanctions. And that's what happens. You know, I definitely don't agree with the woman. But I wonder, did she count the cost before she decided to make a stand for something? Or did she think she was just going to go over there and, and do what she believed in and, and there was going to be no consequence? She has a price to pay for doing what she believed in. And I don't know the end of the story. I don't know what happened. I don't know if she was willing to pay it. But I'm asking you this morning, are you willing to pay it? Because there's a cost to serving Jesus Christ. In Luke 14, 31 through 33, it says, What king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who, is not, who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. This is a similar parable. How many know that Jesus is making some, some hefty claims? He's saying, look, there's, there's some stuff you've got to do if you want to be my disciple, and if you're not willing to, you cannot be my disciple. This king right here, he's got to ask himself, if he's getting ready to go to war, does he have what it takes to win this war? And if he does not, he's ultimately got to make peace with the upcoming force. It's either that or get routed. You know, in reference to us, Satan is referred in Scripture as the god of this world. In 2 Corinthians 4.4 it says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, keeping them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The terms of peace required for the God or the king of this world is not one that I'm willing to make. And there also there are some theologians that they look at these two parables and, and they say that, no, the, the king... And the, the builder, in this case, is actually not referring to us. Most, uh, most commentaries, if you read about this, most theologians believe that it's referring to us, but there are some that say, you know what? The, the builder and the king is actually referring to Jesus, and he's the one counting the cost, and he's building an army. How many you know that you're in the army of God right now? And he's building an army, and he's got to count the cost. That's why he says, if you're not willing to renounce all that you can't be my disciple... Let me ask you guys, Jeff and John, would you want somebody beside you in war that wasn't willing to give it all? Jesus isn't looking for anything different. That's why he's saying, you can't be my disciple if you're not willing to. Because he counted the cost. He knows what he's up against. And I thank God that he's already victorious. But he wants strong Christians. So my question to you is, is, Will you be a strong member of that tower? Will you be a strong member of that army? Will you be a disciple in matthew 11 twelve it says from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. You see Christianity today is not about being timid, rather Christianity at any time is not about being timid, but we're to be bold. We're to stand strong it says, that the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. That's not our, the picture of heaven that, that we often think of in our minds. In 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. And this doesn't mean that we're violent towards others. Don't get me wrong, that's, uh, that's not what I'm saying. But what it does mean is that we stand strong and we forcefully declare God's will for us and we forcefully stand against the schemes of the enemy and we boldly proclaim the gospel everywhere that we go. Ephesians 6:12 says for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the powers against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You know we're not fighting people. The truth is we are at war. We're fighting against powers and principalities. We're fighting against an enemy that wants to take as many people to hell with him as he can. He wants to convince people that there's no other choice, there's no other option. You know, sometimes our struggle isn't even that deep. Sometimes it's against ourselves, against our own fear and our own doubt. And we cause ourselves problems. But we need to even boldly proclaim the promises of God to ourselves. In 1 John three nineteen through 20, it says, We will know by this that we are of the truth, and we will assure our heart before him. And whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. We're to assure our heart before God. That's part of being that disciple that God's talking about one that's willing to count the cost, one that's willing to stand up. You know, if you look at the amplified translation of this, it says that, And from the days of John the Baptist until the present time, the kingdom of heaven has endured violent assaults, and violent men seize it by force as a precious prize, a share in the heavenly kingdom is sought with the most ardent zeal and intense exertion. I mean, so we have to stand up and fight. You can't passively receive salvation. You can't passively receive the kingdom of heaven. You can't passively serve in the armor of, army of God. The kingdom of heaven, the promises of God—these are fantastic. These are great prizes, and they're worth standing for, and they're worth getting off our butts and tar- to start taking that stand. To stop being passive, but instead start being aggressive for the kingdom of heaven. You know, all of us in this room, is, there's something that we'll stand up for. There's something that we'll be aggressive for. All you've got to do is, is come to, to, to many men's house on, on Sunday and watch them watching football. There's people willing to get aggressive and take a stand there. Why can't we have that same passion and intensity for Jesus? Second Corinthians ten three through 5 it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Like I said, we're at war, and there are powers that want you dead. The enemy of this world wants you dead, and he can't win the victory I mean, the victory is already in Jesus Christ the devil can't win so the best he can do is bring as many people with him as he can but like it says we're not waging war against the flesh and we're not fighting against people and the lost are not our enemy You know, something that breaks my heart more than anything is when I used to go to the University of Arizona and there would be this guy out on the mall and he would just be preaching fire and brimstone and you're all going to hell for doing this, that, and whatever. And he began to just tell them that they're going to hell. You know, and at first glance you're like, well, at least he's standing up and doing something, but he's got the target wrong. He says that we're not waging war according to the flesh. And actually, it was making it harder for people to minister to the gospel to them later. Because they were, they were being pushed away. They were be, be, why, would, why would anybody want to serve a God and be part of, a, 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 of that kingdom where people act like that? You see, the truth is, when we talk about this, we don't wage war according to the flesh, is that, that God doesn't hate people, no matter how bad their sin God doesn't hate homosexuals. He doesn't hate people that perform abortions or have abortions. He doesn't hate strippers. He doesn't hate prostitutes. He doesn't hate people. He hates the sin in their lives. How many know that that homosexuals aren't going to hell because they're homosexual? And people that commit abortions aren't going to hell because they've committed abortions. The truth is they're going to hell because they haven't received the gift of eternal life that is offered freely in Jesus Christ. And all those things are sins just like any other sins. Even though somehow in our mind we begin to, to look at different sins as, as carrying more weight than another. You know, some sinners worse than another. But I'm telling you what, every sin will take you to hell. And the only thing that can forgive you from it is Jesus Christ. But if that's the case, if we're not warring against the flesh, then how do we war? I want to tell you that you want to, do you want to make a difference in this world, if you want to make a dent against the enemy, if, if you want the enemy to know your name because he wants to stop you, begin telling people about the love of Christ. Begin to tell them that Jesus Christ loves them no matter what they did, actually in spite of what they've done. That he went to the cross knowing all about what they did. And then he loved them anyway. And then it has nothing to do with what they've done. And it has nothing to do with what they will do. But, but his love for him is, them is greater than that. If they'll receive the free gift of life in Jesus Christ. Then they can be changed. They can be made brand new. We tell them that he gave all so that they could live. And we combat incorrect views of God and Christians and how we live so that we can have an opportunity to share the gospel. Do you live your life so that you look like Jesus? Or do we live our lives so that nobody could tell the difference between a Christian and somebody who's not saved? The truth is that telling people that Christ loves them is probably not going to be enough. But we need to show them. We need to live our lives in such a way that they see the love of Christ inside of us. The scripture says that they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. They should see it in our lives. The truth is, is the gospel is divinely powerful. And a new life is the only thing that can destroy the fortresses that have enslaved people in this world. And that means we're going to have to get out there and tell them about it. That means we might have to make some sacrifices. That means we have to understand that it's going to cost us something. Amen? If we want to change the world, it's not about changing our government or changing the laws that are written. How many know that if if every law in the books right now were Christian laws, that it wouldn't make a difference in this world? What we need to do is change people. And truthfully, if you, want, if you want laws that are more in line with what we believe, let's get the people that are making laws saved. And they'll begin to make laws that agree with the gospel. And the other thing the scripture says we need to do is that we need to <clears throat> take every thought captive to obey Christ. You know, I've, I've heard it said you can't stop a bird from landing on your head, but you can stop it from building a nest. You know, there are things that will pop into your mind that you're like, where the heck did that come from? The problem is not that it pops into your mind. The problem is if you let it develop into something that can't be controlled. But instead, if we take it captive, then we can deal with it. And that goes from everything from from flat-out sin, temptation that pops into our mind, to man, I don't want to go to church on Wednesday because I just—I took just off work and I just want to stay home. Take those thoughts captive and instead choose to obey Christ to serve him. Don't let rogue thoughts manifest into actions in your life. You know, the, we've looked at these scriptures because I want to show you that being a disciple is so much more than being passive. We're not a passive religion. And I don't know, you guys probably feel a little uncomfortable right now hearing this stuff. I know I feel a little uncomfortable preaching it. But it's the truth that we need to to make a decision to serve God no matter what the cost. Amen? So how do we do that? Since we're at war, we need to be good soldiers, soldiers in the army of Christ. How do we do that? Second Timothy 2, 1-4 says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and why you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to, to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You know, we draw our strength by the grace of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. If you want to stand up and serve God, you've got to stop doing it in your own strength. It's one of the biggest problems that I have is because I tend to figure I can do everything on my own. As you guys know, my story, when I was, when I was before I uh, decided to give my life fully to God and become a pastor, my life fell apart around me because, for the most part, I could do everything I needed to do. I didn't need to rely on God for anything. And God was so patient with me for so long. And then one day he said, alright, give it a shot. And my world collapsed around me. My, my wife and I's relationship, we almost ended in divorce. We filed for bankruptcy. I mean, my life fell apart around me because I thought I could do everything on my own. But I want you to know right now that you can't do everything on your own. And if you try, you're doomed to failure. But the truth is, is that we are strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If we lean on him for our strength, we can accomplish anything. There will be no cost that is too high if we will lean on Jesus. Amen? And this grace that we lean on, grace is all that God accomplished in his son. We remember that we are forgiven, that we are free, that we are redeemed, that we are loved, that we are worthy. All of these things, if you'll keep that in your mind as you realize what Christ has accomplished inside of you will help to make you stronger. It's going to make you more confident. The other thing is that we need to, to train and be trained. You know, you'll never be a disciple if you don't sit under somebody else's teaching. It says right here, He says, uh, Paul told Timothy... <clears throat> to what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust a faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You know, if you want to be a disciple of God, if you want to serve, that's going to be part of it. That's part of the cost that you're going to pay. Is you're going to have to sit under somebody and spend the time being discipled, learning, being trained. You know, when I joined the Army right out of high school, they didn't send me directly to war. But instead, they sent me to, to Fort Leonard Wood, Fort Lost in the Woods, as we affectionately called it. And they sent me through basic training, and I got the basics down. That's how I learned to be a soldier. Is they taught me the basics. That's why they call it basic training. Clever folks that they are. But... That's where I learned to be a soldier. You know what? In the army of Christ, we need to do the same thing. You need to spend time going to Bible studies. You need to spend time with other mature believers because you need to learn the basics. Paul calls it the the milk of of the gospel instead of the solid meat of the word. That's the starting point. And then after that, they sent me off to AIT. I spent two months in in basic training. I got in right before they switched it to, what is it, three months now, I think, for basic? Or is it... Oh, is it nine weeks? The, extra, the extra week for sexual harassment training, if I recall? <laughs> I missed that extra week. <laughs> hmm. You know. I know. Praise God. But, uh, yeah, then they sent me to AIT, which is Advanced Individual Training. That's where they taught me to do my job more specific things. It's, it's, uh, to, to compare that to, to your life in the, the army of God and the churches, you're going to learn the basics, but then you're going to be, begin to get developed into your calling. For me, that was being developed into a pastor, learning how to preach and teach, learning how to shepherd a flock, and I sat underneath my pastor for many years to be trained to do that. As Christians, we need to be willing to make that time and that commitment. If you want to learn to do anything, it takes time. If you want to learn to play an instrument, you're going to have to dedicate some time to it. You know, we really need to spend time, and something I don't think we do enough of, but we really need to spend time learning the basics before we even move to a specific ministry. Next, as he's talking about, as Paul's talking to Timothy, he says that we need to share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You know, to endure suffering, that seems like a strange thing. And it's, not, it's definitely something we don't tell uh, new Christians, that, hey, there might be some tough times coming up, but I think we should. I think we do them a disservice that we don't. But there's going to be suffering as a Christian. You're going to suffer suffer things as a Christian that you never would have suffered if you wouldn't have became a Christian. No one's going to persecute you for not being a Christian. And thankfully here, we have it a little bit easier than other places in this world. There's also going to be training as a Christian. There's going to be some things that you go through that God will use to help you become stronger. Now, I don't believe that God is going to cause harmful things in your life. God doesn't, doesn't use those kind of things, but you know what? You're going to face Him because there's an enemy that's against you. And God will use those things to strengthen you. Like a, a tree blowing up on a mountaintop. If you look at trees that have spent most of their lives in the wind, the, 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 the wood that you get from this is so much stronger than the wood getting from ones that have never had that. Matter of fact, in the biosphere, when they first started that, they were growing all the trees, they were were making all the different environments, and everything was going great, it was working according to plan. Then one day they woke up, and the trees began to snap under their own weight. And the one thing that they noticed was that in this biosphere, there was no weather, there was no wind. And because of that, the trees never got blown around and they never became stronger so that when they grew up to be large, eventually they couldn't even hold up under their own weight. As Christians, we need to be trained as well. Anybody ever heard the saying that faith untested is faith untrusted? Sometimes our faith is tested to be ready to, 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 to put even more faith out in different situations. Next, he says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. His aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The next thing we need to do is make sure that our focus is not in the wrong place. You know, when you're full-time in the military, in the army, you can't just get another job. At least you've got to make sure it doesn't interfere with your current one. And even for the reservists, or the National Guardsmen, if they're called to service, the number one priority is the service in the military. matter of fact, there's laws in place now that no matter how long you're gone, you can't even lose your job. They have to have it waiting for you when you get back. The priority is, too, the military service. And as Christians, this should be our attitude as well. The kingdom of God should always come first. And finally, our our aim is to please God in all that we do. And all that we do in our lives should be honoring to him. And just like soldiers, a soldier's work is to do his commander's will, ours is to do the will of the king of kings. Amen? And I need to get moving, so we'll try to get through these last bit here. In Matthew six twenty five through 33 it says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Much more clothe you, O you of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Like I said a little bit earlier, but in order to be a good soldier, we need to make sure that we're not getting entangled in that civilian pursuit. Basically, any any pursuit other than your military service. And for us as Christians, that means that we don't get so entangled in the things of this world that we can't serve God. You know, when I was in the Army, I didn't have to worry about food or clothing because the Army provided all that stuff for me. At least in the beginning. You had to pay for uniforms afterwards. But the truth is, the reason why they don't do that is because all that stuff would be a distraction to your military service. You know, when you're on when you're when you're in the army, you're not worried about your next meal. They will provide that for you because they don't want you to be caught up in things that you don't need to be worrying about, especially when you're in a wartime environment. When I was uh, <clears throat> when I was in, I don't know if it was someone they knew, if it was just an old joke, but uh, about the old the old general that said, "Hey, why aren't you married, general?" And he goes, "Well, if I..." if the army wanted me to have a wife, he would have issued it to me. You see, his focus was completely on the military. And he was letting them take care of things. That should be the same for us when we're serving the kingdom of God. We shouldn't be worried so much about where our next meal is going to come from or are we going to have enough money to pay rent. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying to not be wise. If you have a job, go to work. But at the same time, your, your trust should not be in your job, but in the Lord of lords. This is the same attitude that a soldier has, should be the same attitude that we have. We shouldn't be focusing on worldly things, but rather the kingdom of heaven. So many of us are so wrapped up in the American dream that our ours are so far from the kingdom of God that we can't even see it anymore. We're more concerned about going to work and getting a raise and getting a better job so we can get the, the two-bedroom house with the white picket fence and the two cars and the pretty wife or all these things. We're so focused on these things that we're not focused on the kingdom of heaven. And when we get entangled in the things of this world, when you get wrapped up in it, it limits your ability to serve in the kingdom of heaven. You know one of the biggest things that will be a hindrance to you serving God? The number one thing that won't allow you to do what God has asked you to do is debt. If you're in debt, what happens if you, have, if you have $200,000 in car and credit card debt and student loan debt and God says, you know what, I want you to go be a missionary in Africa. You have responsibilities in this world now. You can't just up and leave all that stuff. It's because we get entangled in other things. But if we'll keep our focus on him and his kingdom, I want you to know that all the things that you need will be taken care of. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And the truth is, is that he's going to give you an abundance in your life as well for every good work, amen? 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive perishable wreath, but we, in imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I mean, athletes don't compete to tie. At least, now maybe in this world, as we teach our kids that nobody wins and everybody gets a green ribbon, which I think is... uh, not a wise decision. But the truth is, is that in any competitive sport, you don't compete to tie. You compete to win. And in order to win, they have to train hard, and they have to play hard. He says that every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath. You know, athletes perform self-control to turn their bodies into well, well-oiled machines. They restrict their diet. They commit to specific workout routines, specific training and rest schedules. And everything they do is meticulously planned out to have the greatest impact for their body. I mean, I've, I've, I've done some reading, and I looked at some what, like Olympic athletes, what they do to train and be ready. It's incredible. It'd blow your mind, the dedication that they have. And they're competing for a perishable wreath. They're competing for a medal. Why aren't we willing to put that much effort into the kingdom of heaven for an unperishable wreath? You know, what you're, what you're training for, what you're fighting for, what you're sacrificing for is worth so much more. How many people are going to come up to you in heaven and say, you know what, because you reached out to me, I'm here today? That's an imperishable wreath. That's a life. And then Paul says, I discipline myself. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And that's one of the greatest disservices we can do as Christians, is not practice what we preach. A matter of fact, there's so many people doing that that Christians in this country have the general stereotype that they're all a bunch of hypocrites. And I like to say that that's not true, but I think in many times it is. Many times in my life it's been that way. If I'm being honest with you, and I think you can probably look at your life and there's been times in your life where you weren't practicing what you preached either. But the truth is that When we preach the gospel to others, we need to be living that same life ourselves. Otherwise, even knowing the truth, we can be just as lost as those we preach to. Amen? In Matthew 6, 22-24, it says, "...the eye is a lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness." If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You know, the greatest danger of being caught up in this world, not, giving, not counting the cost and giving your whole life wholeheartedly to Jesus, is a split personality. Where we are looking has a great impact on where we are heading. Let me say that again. Where you're looking has an incredible impact on where you're heading. If you want to do just a simple a simple experiment, walk outside and and look at somewhere you want to go, but then look at a pole, 45 degree angle, and try to walk to where you were going before. You're going to notice you begin to do this little sidestep and you you walk to where you're looking. It's what we do naturally. And the same thing happens in our spiritual life as well. Whatever you're looking at is where you're going. And if your eyes are not on Jesus, you're not going to be heading towards him. Matthew says if our eye is healthy, then it directs our whole body to be healthy. And the opposite is true. You guys ever heard of tree skiing? There's, uh, There's a bunch of people that go up on mountains and instead of skiing on regular paths, they just head right down in the middle of a forest, going as fast as they can, dodging in and out of trees. And I've never heard of it, but apparently it's a pretty big thing. But there's an extreme skiing world champion, Kim Reichman, says this, don't stare at what you don't want to hit. Because he knows that if you're flying down that mountain, if you're staring at trees, you're going to run into a tree. And the same goes for us in the kingdom of heaven. Don't stare at what you don't want to hit. If you want to serve in the kingdom of God, if you want to be a disciple, if you want to be effective, then stare into the kingdom of God. Amen? Scripture says that we can't serve two masters. It's one or the other. You guys ever worked in a, in a situation where two people had equal authority? Two, two bosses at the same level and tried to get something done? I used to, uh, I do IT work now and there's a company that, that here in town that I go work for and they were just bought out by this huge corporation and they asked me multiple times to come work for them and I, I'm like, there's no way I could work for you guys because nothing ever gets done. There's so many people that have to make a decision for any one thing to get done that it takes forever for the simplest things to happen. Anytime there's more than one person in authority, progress is halted. Have you ever, you ever heard of something that's, uh, that's, that's led by committee and all the problems that happen there? The same is true for us when we try to serve two masters. If you try to, to serve the American dream at the same time that you're trying to serve God, you're going to run into problems. You're going to have problems with one or the other, and more than likely both. Jesus said that you'll even love one and hate the other. And the implication is there that if you love this world, then you hate Jesus. That's a pretty harsh implication. And I know I want the opposite to be true for my life. You know, in this particular example, the scripture is referring to God and money. If you love one, you'll hate the other. But the truth is that anything that competes for God's ultimate authority in your life applies. Work, money, sex, fun, your spouse, anything that's more important to you than God is going to cause a problem in your life. Amen. We'll go ahead and end here today. In Deuteronomy 31, six it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. You know, I've been talking about this morning to be a disciple, to be a soldier in the army of Christ, it carries a cost but I want you to know that even so, God is always with us. You know, there's always the the thought in my head when I preach a message like this where you begin to push people, to challenge people. There's always that fear that you're going to push people away because this isn't easy. There is a cost. And I hope this morning that instead of pushing you away, it challenged you this morning to live your life more wholeheartedly for Jesus Christ. To be a disciple, it does carry a cross. I want you to know that. I want you to be aware of that. But the truth is, no matter what the cost, God is always with us. He's always going to be there. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. You'll never be alone in your walk with him. And the strength that we have when we walk with Him, it comes directly from Him. It doesn't come from within ourselves. Matter of fact, if you're trying to draw your strength from within yourself, you're going to fail. I know that one from experience. But that's because that right now, if you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that He's inside you. He's behind you and He's backing you up. He's never going to let you fail or fall. It doesn't mean you're not going to have struggles. It doesn't mean you're not going to have tough times. It doesn't mean there's not a cost to be paid, but you will not fall. So this morning, I want to challenge us. Let's resolve to be good soldiers in the army of God. Let's resolve to be willing to pay that cost. Let's resolve to put the kingdom of heaven first in our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and I stand to our feet.